and welcome to the Modes of Mouth podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, helping to raise awareness and help find a cure. Thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear those stories, including the Williams F1 team's planning director, Richard Jones, right now on your chosen podcast player. Also, bookings are still available for the Motormouth charity karting event with places on August the 10th still on general sale. Enter your team of four to an endurance race and compete with and against a host of motorsport celebs or pro drivers who will be drawn at random to be on your team. Gates open at 12.30 and close at 6pm. For all the information and to see who you could be up against, head to motormouthkartrace.com. We'll see you there and together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumour. It's season eight and we're really excited to be once again teaming up with F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One this year, we are all over it. And the brilliant news is you can now return trackside thanks to F1 Experiences. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first class hotels, and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. So, what are you waiting for? Experience the 2021 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 Experiences. Get booking today at f1experiences.com. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Today's guest hails originally from Portadown. And did you know that contrary to popular belief, only about 9% of people in Northern Ireland have red hair? Did you also know that Nigerians drink more Guinness than those from Northern Ireland? Did you also know that in 1735, the Tipping Act allowed peasants to drink ale for free? And sadly, this no longer applies. Did you also know, Harry Benjamin, it's the birthplace of not only our guest today, but actors Liam Neeson and Kenneth Branagh? Oh, I didn't know that about Kenneth Branagh. I mean, I suspected as much about Liam Neeson, but that, you know what's the saddest thing about this? I've never, ever been to, to Northern Ireland or Ireland anyway, ever. It's, a, it's, it's on my list. I, I've just never been. And it's, it's weird when you, you live right across the pond from it. I've only been to... Have I been to... I've, I've not been to Northern Ireland. I've been to the Republic of Ireland. Uh, or have I? Yes, I have. And, uh, and I've drunk Guinness there. But um, I, that's all I know. I don't know an awful lot I've about... I've been to an Irish pub before, but never in Ireland. Well, I, <laughs> English people go to Irish pubs. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, but um, shall I introduce today's guest? Oh, I think so. Let's do it. So today we are joined by Adam Carroll. And as you might have worked out, he was born in Northern Ireland. He started karting in 1993 before moving into cars and single seaters, where he went on to dominate teammates and competitors, despite often having worse machinery and lower funds than his peers, including our former podcast guest and F1 world champion, Nico Rosberg, who is another of his victims. Over the years, he's comfortably beat many of today's stars and household names and has driven F1 cars, Formula E cars, Indy cars, DTMs, A1GP, which he won, and loads of sports cars, of course. 
Now, we're over 80 episodes into this show, and when we ask guests who the best driver is that they've ever shared a track with, they often say the words Adam Carroll. And here is what Timo Glock said when we asked him the question, who is the best you've ever raced against? Adam Carroll. There is no one really out there who knows that he was my teammate for a couple of races in 2003. He just jumped in the car and he, I mean, he did a three in, in, in uh, UK uh, and then came over and did a couple of races with us and he was just straightforward. You know, in that, in that, in that year, you normally are sort of, your teammate is, is, you need to beat your teammate. There is no friendship between teammates, let's say. And, and he was just such an easy guy helping out, trying to, you know, understand because we were, we were switching tires from, Yokohama to Kumo at that stage and, and he tried to, to help us out to understand more the car because we just couldn't understand the tyre and were just not, not quick enough. Um, and he was just a totally easygoing guy and super quick. Yeah. Adam Carroll, welcome to the Motormouth. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, thanks for having me. That's a very nice intro. <laughs> yeah, not too shabby hearing that, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, had a few people obviously tell me what Timo had said. So I gave him a message and said to him, thanks for your kind words. And he said, no worries. It's, it's all true. So at least, uh, <laughs> and then um, he sent me the invoice over, but that was all right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Well, Adam, thank you very much for coming on to the show. It's great to finally get you on uh, for our, our new season now that we're into. Um, but first of all, let's just start. Where, whereabouts are you today? Where are you joining us from? Uh, just at home. I'm home in, in Northern Ireland. So, um, just got back from the pub and uh, <laughs> naturally. No, I've just been training this morning. Um, brought the kids to school and getting ready actually to jump back in the plane and come over to um, uh, back in England tonight. So we leave tomorrow to go to Belgium and for the next round of GT Open in the ID GT3. So can't wait to get around there. So I've been really busy this year and uh, you know, just so fortunate and can't complain at all. It's been uh, it's been good. No, good stuff. Exciting. Um, now, one thing we like to do, Adam, is is go back to where it all began. Um, obviously, many of our guests started in karting, and, and you're no different. Take us back to those days when you when you first got in a kart. Where where did this all come from? Was there was it in the family? Was there uh, personal interest? How did it all begin? Well, it started in karting. Yes, my racing started. So um, I think you're right on the 1993, and it was cadet go karting. So. Um, I got a, I got a cadet off Santa, which was very fortunate for my ninth. Um, it would have been my ninth Christmas, so I just turned nine, and uh, it just so happened to be a racing cart. And my, my dad didn't really know any different, and he bought a a right sixty um, cc cadet go kart. And I can remember coming up, and it was uh, Santa left it in the kitchen, so I was like, "All right, this is pretty cool," and then fired it up and off we went so i think it lasted two hours before i blew the clutch up so badly that <laughs> the engine was the engine was gone <laughs> so we took it back to it's actually richard lance's dad so i'm sure he's uh, no richard and his dad uh said to my dad you can't just drive them around the house or you know down a lot a yard or anything like that uh, you need to take them to the track so my dad had to buy a new engine. <laughs> and, uh, we put it into the Volvo and we went to Nuts Corner. And the first time I drove around the circuit was at Nuts Corner. And that's where it started. So pretty crazy, really. You know, that was my first 
um, time getting into go-karts, but I'd, I'd, I'd driven a motorbike from I was three and a half and generally was just absolutely, you know, flat out on anything that had an engine and wheels and um, drove, a, drove a road car from I was eight. So I used to take my mum's Volvo down the down the lane behind the house, among my uncle's lane. We're very fortunate here at home. My uncle and has a lot of land behind the house. Uh, so, you know, we all just grew up driving in the grass and in the fields and, you know, learning your learning your trade that, you know, stick by you later on in life. So um, it's definitely in the blood. We have a, my cousins as well, Peter Duke, uh, Michael Duke were very good. And obviously Tim Mullen, who went on to have a, Tim's had a great career. Tim's one of the best GT drivers pretty much ever. Most most talented guys you'll ever see behind the wheel of a car and just happens to be my, my big cousin. They're much older and worse looking, obviously. And uh, <laughs> and he's now a team manager at Greystone GT. So I get to race with him as my team manager. So, you know, yeah, we have a pretty uh, pretty talented family, actually, in general. And, you know, motor, motorsport, uh, there w- it seemed to be something in the, in, in the blood. And was it from that young age, was it all eyes on... Formula One, or was it just see how far you can get? And also with the motorbike side, was there was that ever a, a, an alleyway you might have gone down more more fully? Well, it was always just four wheels quads, so I just had like a little LT Yiddy and things like that. And then um, it was never on two wheels, and you know that that's probably just a different level of game. I'm glad I didn't go down that way because obviously uh, that's pretty uh, pretty crazy here with the road racing and stuff like that. But maybe maybe trackside, you know, bikes are slightly different. If you, I think if you're you're you know if you've got a bit of talent and are you talented in bikes, you have more of a chance of maybe um, you know getting through just because the budgets aren't just as outrageous as, yeah. as the four wheel machines. Um, but just in general, starting from that age, we honestly put the put the go kart in the Volvo. My my dad honestly had. Just didn't have a clue or my mum and we took it along and off we went and you know people noticed quite quickly that I, I definitely had some speed and they started asking my dad things like oh what gear do you running and what tire pressures and sure he didn't he didn't know anything he just pumped them up and off we went <laughs> and then um I won my third of a race and against you know guys who obviously as a as a as a, 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 a next plate or yellow plate and then the team who are the guys we got the cart off said, look, why don't we run the cart for you? You know, and we pick it off our hands and that's where my go-kart started. So, you know, it totally just, we are fortunate enough where, you know, we could afford to start, um, had just enough budget here at home. And then I guess because I I was winning and generally at the front, you know, that just kept progressing. And then the, the next cart came along, the bigger one, and I got in that and, TKM and then I finally did some um you know super one and over got over into England because obviously not you know Northern Ireland's a small place you get some very very quick people from Northern Ireland you know and, uh, and everywhere like Nuts Corner you have circuit specialists so you know some guys who become super quick around Nuts Corner so your real test is once you go over the water onto your uh, over to England it's just a it's a, it's a different sort of um, yeah. different level you know you've 20 quick guys that turn up the one weekend so Adam what, what, uh, do you, what, what do you think it was that that separated you from some of those other kids at that stage I mean it's obviously something you're born with it's you know when you're that young it's not necessarily you can't necessarily learn what 
obviously you learn as you go along, but that innate speed is there. What? Why do you think that was? Do you think it's down to the fact you hopped on a bike at three, or do, was there something in you that, or and kids of that age, that separates them from the rest? Yes, I think you can see it. I've done a lot of coaching, and I, you know, I do a lot of coaching, and I've worked with lots of drivers, and you get to see, um, you know, young gentlemen drivers all, all types so um uh, you know george russell being one of them who sat in my in-car program once when he was 16 so you know i got to see what george was like very quickly so there's just the even from a kid at probably three four five years old um you'll you'll get to see if they have a turn of speed or not you know there definitely must be something that a lack of fear or something that they don't just drive around, you know, they take it, they're absolutely flat out, you know, they take it, they take it up a notch and they just seem to have, you know, the ability to put the bike or the, the quad or go-kart just on the limit and be comfortable there. So, you know, lots of, lots of people, lots of kids can, can drive a motorbike and love going around, but they don't particularly push the limits or go too fast. <laughs> so yeah. I think from pretty, pretty early on, you might call, I don't know, if you'd have saw me go down the field, you would have probably said I was crazy. And my mum and dad were crazy for letting me, you know, go go that fast as well. <laughs> I used to just take the Volvo. I honestly would have been, I used to do donuts. Me and Tim used to be able to do donuts in the driveway. And, and <laughs> I was eight years old and Tim was older than me. And it's not a big space. And it snowed one day. And we had a this Shogun, which is not a small Jeep. And we were able to do donuts in, in a small space, you know. Highly so irresponsible of Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Carroll. Crazy. I would not, if my kids start doing that, I'd be like, what are you doing? You know, like, <laughs> no, you're not allowed to go fast. So there's definitely, yes, there's something there with a certain amount of speed that's just, I think it's a natural sort of, um, it's, it's like anything. It doesn't matter whether it's driving or it's running or boxing. You know, you'll just see someone who has that speed and you just think, wow, that's, it's just different. So I guess it's, if you start with that, then you have to hone your skills, understand it, and then, you know, try to become through, you know, like become a professional ultimately in the end. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, you, you then, fast forwarding a little bit, stepped up into single seaters around 99, British Formula Ford, and then progressed through to British F3, the national class. And you, you found yourself dominating and winning the class title with a record points haul. Did you think to yourself... Well, this is easy. I mean, I'm on my way. I'm on the ladder. The F1, here I come. Um, I wouldn't say that. I would say that um, in 99, I used... So, go-karting just started to struggle. You know, budgets are just crazy. Like, you know, we're doing it on a... Same thing, shoestring. My dad couldn't afford to do it anymore. We were pretty stressed out. Um, had a really good guy running me. You know, we couldn't do what we wanted. So, I decided, right, I'm going to have a crack at a scholarship, which was the Elf Affiliate. And I ended up winning that, me and Adam Jones, out of about 60, 60 people. So I moved to France when I was, yeah, just turned 16, and that was my first year in cars. But that was that was free. And then I got picked up by two Irish guys who were pretty wild to get into the game and uh, <laughs> started their own team. So that's where the Formula 4 team came around, and I ended up you know, signing pretty much my full life away is to management and to everything that comes with it. So, you know, that's where the road started and I guess the dream of, of Formula One. So, and there was pretty much nothing else that was kind of going to do. And I guess that's where the mistake ultimately was, um, you know, was made along the way. So it's been uh, things like Formula Three, 
I was really fortunate to have Roly run run the team, Roly Mancini, who was went on there with SP1 Motorsport. You know, Roly's just that's where I learned how and what a fast car should be and, and how it reacts. You know, he he gives you a car that is second to none and it allows you as a driver then to to release your speed and actually do what you can do. So that's that's pretty much the hardest thing. It's it's not the driving, it's actually getting into the car that will allow you to yeah. compete. That's that's just it in a nutshell. That is quite a, a, a good start. And I just wanted to ask, though, um, how's your French? It's, uh, it's not very good. I can say <laughs> some bad words. <laughs> Can't we all? Well, I mean, so it's a good start for you stepping up into, into cars, I suppose. And then you mentioned uh, British Formula 3 as well. You went into the championship class of that. Uh, and your second season, you finished runner-up behind a certain Nelson Pico Jr., of course, very highly funded as well. But you did secure four poles, three fastest laps, Five wins in a field because you came up with a with a generation of drivers that we all know today. Still, you know, in that in that year alone, it was Lucas Degrassi, Will Power, loads more as well. That must have been quite a satisfying season, and, and knowing that you're amongst some of the the best of the new crop coming up, as it was back then. I mean, at the time, they're just you know, it's a long time ago now. You just mm. they're just guys you have to beat. It doesn't doesn't really matter. But yeah, if you look at the if you look at the Marlboro Masters from two thousand and four, where uh, we came third, and uh, it was typical our fashion. We had ten grand budget that was um, given to us, and we basically rocked up and did the race without any testing on a different tire and everything. And that was just Roly. You know, Roly's one of the few people that would allow you to do that. And we actually qualified fifth, smoked it around the outside into third, and then off we went. And that grid is that grid is serious. You know, yeah. the names in it. You had Lewis Hamilton, Rosberg, PK. A um, few bits of, um, obviously, Timo Glock. You had uh, um, Speng- Spengler, DTM champions, Formula One world champions, basically serious grids. So, you know, those were hard years. And also just, you know, the years that there was, you were starting to run out of time where it was very difficult to make the next step to either get an F1 test where you didn't have to pay or or be a son of a, an ex-world champion because... Yeah. You know, things like that, obviously, to, to be able to pick up the phone to Frank Williams or someone as your friend makes things a lot easier. So, you know, I was close to things like that. I did go along to places like Williams and did their driver test and was, you know, very, very closely considered to actually, you know, get a test. Um, so, you know, at that point, the next Formula One or just the next steps, that's GP2 came around after that. But, yeah, the field of drivers was just unbelievable, really, when you look back now. Yeah, and, and your GP2 um, progress, again, you weren't in the best equipment. And like you say, you're you you don't you're not in the privileged position to have a, a, a multi-millionaire or billionaire family backer or friend, but you still nonetheless got attention from, from attention from BAR Honda. How did this opportunity come about and where did it lead? Did, do, you, do you think looking back now, it had any bearing or impact on your career? Well, how it came about was at the end of that year, um, my understanding of the young driver program was Dave Richards at the time decided, right, why don't we why don't we have a young driver program with Jock Clear and just try and pick the best drivers out there and, and teach them to, you know, become the ultimate Formula One driver or how we think they should be, and probably ultimately pay them a lot less money than the big guys who can do the same job. So 
I think it started with the best intentions possible. And I think about 12 of us, 10 or 12 of us were invited. So same thing, big, pretty big names now. You know, Nico Rosberg was one, PK, Alexander Prima. Um, Heike Kovalainen came along as a kind of a benchmark. I don't know if he was considered at the time to kind of, you know, was he going to be a young driver because he was already tied up with Renault or someone. But they chose nine or 10 of the best guys through British F3 in Europe. And we did a fitness test. We did an aptitude test. Um, and I think ultimately, probably for me, what, what gave me the shot would have been the in-car um, evaluation with Rob Wilson. So, you know, Rob's had every everybody under the sun sit with him and he can tell you exactly what your style and details are like. And I think, yeah, that was one of the, the big factors that um, allowed me to then it would be chosen. And they wanted to choose three different sort of styles across the board um, and allowed me to get into a Formula One car. You know, I did 11 days and I did uh, 4,000 kilometers, I think. Wow. And I drove the, the V10s and then into the V8s. So... Oh. Yeah, the, the, the proper cars. Yeah, the proper yeah. cars. We, we, we actually, we've had, uh, we've spoken to a number of, you know, what current, well, actually former F1 world champions and people who have, have raced in Formula 1 cars for some time. And they always look very fondly upon the first time they stepped inside an F1 car. What, what was your immediate reaction when you pulled out of the pits for that first time and put those first kilometers um, on? Was it just a completely crazy, surreal experience driving an F1 car? Well, I think... Yeah, I've been sort of over the last 10, 15 years quite saddened by the direction of Formula One and the comments made by drivers. So uh, I think the sort of Pirelli era has impacted it massively and, yeah. you know, hurt ultimately the, the very, very fast, aggressive drivers because um, you can't actually push or lean on the tires. Uh, and back in the day, you know, you went from a GP2 car, 600 horsepower, it's a fast single seater, you know. Don't, they don't get much faster than that. And you got into the the Honda, which was six hundred and five kilos, um, and it it was uh, nine hundred and sixty horsepower, and it revved to nineteen thousand three hundred RPM. So when you fired it up in the garage for the first time, and you didn't do any sim <laughs> sessions, then you just you just got in. You, were, you you looked at the gear map, and you fired it up, and it it idled at six thousand. So even just the the feeling, the feeling of that through your body. And then, like everything, it was like, all right, off you go. So I left the pits and, you know, gave it 19.3 on the first few corners and then the back straight. And I can remember thinking um, it, it's pretty quick. And just once you got into it, you know, generally some drivers are very good and, and quick at getting up to speed. So, you know, Lewis being one of them, I, I, it doesn't take me too long to get up to speed. Uh, Generally, GP2, as long as the car is good, you could jump in from an F3 and be pretty much close at the end of the first day. But the F1 was just, it was so violent and far, far ahead on your body that it really took, especially the V10s, it really took time to just get up to speed in them. It didn't take 20 laps, you know, and it was, it was violent. That's how, I, that's how I explained it to the engineers and the guys. You know, you can't expect us to do this in 20 laps. You know, you've gone from pulling 3G to 5, you know, mm. it's just you're going 10 seconds plus a lap faster than a GP2 car. Yeah. So, like, you know, her rest, the front straight of her rest is not very long, is it? It's, it's a short straight. 
And the Honda did, uh, I can remember, did 292k on the front straight. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, yes. so you're you're on you're on the cusp basically of this sort of F1 journey, and your motorsport career is clearly going in the right way. But then, just sort of, if we follow um, chronologically rather the the story of your career, you then tried your hand at a bit of DTM, though. You switched to, to touring cars and tin tops. So what what was the the sort of impulse behind that? Because actually, we see nowadays, you know, well, I suppose before this new, now they're introducing a new era of car, aren't they? But um, you know, in the last ten years or so, DTM has been considered so basically, you know, it's the same amount of aero and downforce, that kind of thing. But obviously. It's a touring car when you compare it to F1 but a lot of F1 drivers have gone on to there and said you know it's, it's just as the speeds are not as fast but it's just as a competitive championship so what was it like when, when you took part? Well the decision was um, it came around actually it was end of GP2 I was just sitting there I actually didn't know what was going to happen next so you know through, through the stage as a young driver you Obviously, Formula One's just everything, and the people who were looking after me, Formula One was everything, but they had no experience, and, and ultimately, neither did I, in, in what you need to do to become a Formula One driver. So we all knew what we wanted. From the F1 testing, um, I was able to show that I could do it. My last two days in the car, I was sixth fastest overall in an official test, test in a Honda. So I was only 100th off Montoya in the McLaren and cars like this. So I was able to um, prove that I could do the job, but it's not. It's just so much more than that. You have to be, you have to be politically correct as well. You have to be connected. You need your management. You know, you need all the dots to align. It, it really is not just as simple as that. So the next step was, um, probably the decision to to leave Honda or to, to move on from that was just probably not the correct one either. There's been a few wrong ones along the way. Um, not blaming anybody, but. I look back on it now and go, right, I wouldn't have done that. So the next step was DTM. I got a phone call and I ended up going to do a test. Um, I had tested DTM once before and actually <laughs> I stupidly sort of went back to Formula 3 and, and turned it down, believe it or not. Uh, but that was just, I was 19 years old and thought I could make Formula 1. So um, oh. I, I had no concept of earning money at that stage or, or even what, you know, what that was. <laughs> I just wanted to be Formula One world champion and thought I could because it was obviously I was quite close. So, or I thought it was. Then 2007 was DTM, started in, they had, um, it was a Colin Colas and TME. So it was a a car that was normally down the back and it was a three year old car. So it was also considered as not one of the best cars by Audi and by Tom Christensen and the guys would say it was quite hard to drive. So you're in a three-year-old car and we started, I did four races and two out of the four races, I was actually running in the points. I was running sixth in one of them, which was kind of a little bit unheard of at the time to get the three-year-old car up into the top six. And I can remember Jamie Green decided that uh, he'd had enough of me in front of them and he, he clipped me and punted me and spun me out. So <laughs> That's I like Jimmy, but... I was a little bit upset with him after the race. I, I said to him uh, yeah. a few choice words because I said, <laughs> if you just had a, you just had to pass me, we'll let you go. Like, you know, I'm in a shed and all you had to do was go <laughs> anywhere. So I didn't finish that one. And then the second one was at the Lousers Ring where we were, I was running eighth. So I'm battling with, you know, the big names of DTM and the brakes actually failed. The pedal went to the floor and uh, Scary. that was the end of that. So 
Unfortunately, the sponsors at the time, the management and everybody put the deal together, just it just stopped then. It didn't have enough to continue. And the main investor wanted me back in GP2, even though that I didn't really want to do that because I didn't I didn't see where that was going to go. Mm. And unfortunately, you know, that was another missed opportunity to get in with a manufacturer because, you know, I, I genuinely think at the end of that year that ID would have given me a shot at, you know, the, the proper car. So it was another hard lesson learned in the in the long run. Yeah, yeah. Um, having having sorry. having some bad luck along the way, but it, the the, G, the GP two stuff was interesting, and you and you had some success. You won at the likes of Silverstone, but I want to talk about A one. Tim's favorite thing ever. Honestly, now Harry and I were talking about this this morning before we started chatting with you. So A one series back then, A one GP. When it came out, everyone was a bit like, mm, yeah, not sure, not sure. I look back at it really fondly. And when you look at those cars and the noise they made and how they looked, and we'll come on to how they drive in a minute, I think it's a really cool concept still. And I honestly think if anyone's out there listening with a shed load of money, please come and talk to me because th- this needs to come back because it, it feels like the time is right. There's more more countries now involved in motorsport. You've got all the Middle East stuff happening, people with cash. Bring it back. Have an Irish team, have an English team, American, Middle Eastern team. Honestly, I'm all over it. But anyway, that's for another another day. But you you, you took part in the in the A1 GP, and um, I th- was it your second time of asking of you you taking part? You won the championship with um, with Mark Gallagher. What what was it like racing in that series? What were the cars like to drive, and and how did you feel actually taking the taking the title? Well, the, the crossover from you know. After DTM, back in GP2, um, for for free, you know, my whole GP2 career, there was a total spend of about 600000 over three years. So people don't really realize that. So, wow. you know, all the singles here. So to give you an idea, a full budget is $1.5 million yeah. so, and for one season. So, um, you know, the guys involved, obviously everybody tried their best, but you're just up against it. You know, always don't want to start, uh, do not want to sound hard done by. We should never have made it ever or even that far against all the odds so the next step was a1 came along and you know when you're when you're when you're involved in gp2 and things like that you know the mentality is everything else is crap and and nothing else exists out there you know what's sports cars what's what's gt cars you know why would you even bother that's pretty much it's, it's such a narrow-minded mentality um so then a1 came around and i was like yeah okay Definitely, and that was my basically my first paid drive. So I was now was paid to drive a racing car instead of having you know the guys try and come up with some sort of budget to put you in the car for the dream of Formula One. So my mentality started to change a bit, which it needed to. And then um, I was started A One and A One Team Ireland the first year, or it was the last year of the Lolas. Uh, the team had had some success, and generally a little bit you know, a little bit up and down. Um, that's due to the fact that the cars, the cars, the tires, they, they weren't that easy, but they were they made an amazing noise. Yeah. And the Lulas were a bit of a beast. They were, oh, they had the big 13-inch, big fat rear tires on them. And they were a real handful, like a proper, really heavy steer. And the steering would just kick, you know. I think there was some design parts on the Lulas from 1993. Oh so they weren't, the, they weren't modern machinery. <laughs> they were drawn in 93. So coming back from GP2, it took you, it took, you know, it, it's kind of like a step back. The effort you had to put in, it was harder to drive, 
but it was five seconds a lap slower. So the thing was just a bit of a beast. Um, but the whole concept was just, it was amazing. So, and the competition in it. So ultimately, you know, when you turned up, you were really surprised the level, you know, of not only the drivers, but professionalism, the garages. Um, I would say the top teams were above GP2 at that stage are very, very equal uh, to the top GP2 teams. And there's only a couple of good teams in there. So, um, and then the concept, the countries, you know, where we go and race, it was just brilliant. It was so enjoyable. Everybody you talk to absolutely loved their one. And the fans, the tracks you went to, we raced in New Zealand, Tapa, we raced in Mexico. It was full all the time. Yeah. So the concept and where they wanted to go with was was amazing. It was just, that was with the world recession. That's what that's what wrote it off in the end. So the, the jump to the Ferrari car, which was the final year, was a big spend. So, you know, people talk about between 40 and $60 million it cost the championship to go to the, the Ferrari car. So was it ultimately needed? I'm not, I'm not sure, but um, I think for the future for, of the championship, yes. And obviously bring a brand in like, like Ferrari. And that car was very different. And to this day, that's one of the best cars we've ever driven. So it, that car allowed me to really, and the team to, because the guys we had, it's such an experienced team really good engineers. It's kind of what it was trying to achieve through my whole career or since Formula 3 to get a to get a team and a car that would be consistent. So you can have some weekends that the car is fast and you can win or, you know, be up there. But the next weekend, the car can be absolutely nowhere. So it's about having that consistency. And we hit the ground running with that. It was just like, it was just like putting on a pair of glo- like a, an old shoe for me. It was just it, so much more downforce than the previous car. It, it was a very precise car. had a lot of grip. Um, it was about four seconds faster than the Lula, plus a lap. So uh, a two-meter wide track. It, it was just... It, it's just a serious bit of kit. So once we got going on that, I, I thought, okay, this could, be, this could be a good year for us. And it, it turned out to be all right. Yeah. Do you think, it, realistically, if, if it were to ever come back in some sort of form, do you think it could be a success? I think there's very few things that I've seen come along that were successful. The only thing that I've seen really that potentially, the only thing I could compare it to, believe it or not, is Formula E. So, you know, Formula E is the only thing that you've seen grow into, you know, another massive championship in, mm-hmm. in quite a short period of time. Um, you know, once the manufacturers take a hold of it, then it, it accelerates very, very quickly. So that's growing into something massive for all the reasons we know why. But um, formally, I mean, uh, A1GP, we used to get, the circuits were full. We used yeah. to go, like, Tapu, Tapu New Zealand had 30,000 plus people. Wow. You know, it, it was a little tiny track and it was full. Yeah. You, used to, you used to get so much support. People used to love supporting their country. If you look up the pictures from actually Brands Hatch from the last round of the championship where we won, if you look at the grid, it's one of the busiest grids I think I've ever seen. It was just rammed. And you had, you know, you had celebrities turning up, you had people. And the main thing was to see somewhere like Brands Hatch full. The grandstands were full. So I, I genuinely, um, I've heard in the final year that the championship did actually generate money. It started to work as a business. It was just obviously the, the financial crash that happened. 
and then the hole that the, the initial investment had made with the you know with the buy of the new cars. And unfortunately, I think that was just bad timing where the championship just, mm. you know, there was no comeback from it. But guys were, you know, budgets were good. There's prize money. Guys were getting getting paid properly as they should. You know, it was it was quite an amazing championship, actually. And I don't see why it wouldn't work now. Maybe the problem now is, is you kind of have to justify it. It needs to be a little bit um, aimed towards. It needs to be green. It, more than just we, it, 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 which I suppose is why Formula E is yeah. done so because it has this green yeah. efficiency exactly. and, and energy sustainability message and we will exactly. come on and chat a little bit about Formula E as well but um, pro- we'll, we'll end sort of this first section I think uh, with a bit of uh, with the, sort of the final sort of uh, the, I, I don't want to say the final sort of F1 dream because that makes it sound really bad but in 2010 after sort of A1 GP you know you, you there was still interest there it hadn't completely fallen off um, the cars there's a bit of interest from Campos and what, what turned into Hispania racing, I think, and then Manor and uh, what turned into Virgin. But that that didn't quite work out, did it? And then you decided to go stateside. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality, and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One, and thanks to F1 experiences you can return to the track this year and motormouth listeners can save five percent on your next f1 experiences package by using the code motormouth when booking online at f1experiences.com yes well like i said like to, you need it the only way in the formula one is if you're you're part of the you're part of ferrari's young driver or you yeah. have the the main five big management guys you know you, you're already you're already signed for formula one when you're in either f3 or gp2 you know red bull so the only other way in is is to be either part of the team that's being set up and that's where the lola team that nearly happened and, and then mark gallagher and i were going to work together and the knock-on effect would have been it was very close to happening with me and the Sato. so wow um that's who was penciled in for the lola team that would have been a hell of a lineup yeah, that would have been, and that would have, they would have done an excellent job. Actually, their their win model, they would have that would have been, that would have been. It makes no sense that they didn't get that spot. So there's obviously, I think, maybe something in the background that mm. people didn't like. But anyway, that was over. Then the manor thing came along, and it ended up being it was just about money. So the driver had to pay four million euros for that. So that was out the window. Um, and I'll, I'll not mention any names, but the drivers were paying big bucks for those seats just to come last. And then um, we move on to IndyCar. And I had the two IndyCar races with Andretti. And that relationship came around through A1GP because they had Team USA. So Michael got to see that I could uh, get round okay in an A1 car and six poles. And I can't remember how many ones we had, five or something. Um, And the championship. So that relationship started. And we tried really hard to put a full take that year to do two races and then a full championship together for the next year. And that would have been a paid seat as well. But unfortunately in the end, they couldn't, they couldn't offer me that. And there was a million, $1.5 million hole in the budget, which other people were able to put in. So that was me. If I, I don't get paid to drive a car, I just, I can't get in it, you know? So yeah, that was that. An F1 dream. 
it literally is a dream, you know, and then I decided I needed to do something and, and, and move on then to, you know, try and, you know, keep pushing in, 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 a, in a different direction, which was sports cars. We, we talk about it so much throughout our shows, you know, the idea that the way to get to Formula One is, you know, as you've said already, you either assigned to a driver program from a very young age where you're practically guaranteed, you know, at least a shot or you bring in millions of budgets. But I think, you know, it, it's highlighted even more so here. I, I thought it was really interesting you saying, you know, you were lucky to even kind of get get that far. You didn't, you don't feel hard done by, by any of it or, or is it, or do you? No, not at all, because uh, I'm being serious, you know, if you actually find out what the guys are having spent on, being you know spent on them, you need. If you want to go go karting and get to the doorstep of F one as a super talented kid, you need ten million at least just to blow. So you need ten million to God. to spend before you even that just gets to the doorstep. So lots of the guys who have been picked up along the way have been able to still come up with the budgets to get them so far. Um. And then guys who just pay for their F1 seats, you know, that's that's pointless. You know, anybody who pays now, it's tw- it's twenty million dollars plus for a yeah. seat. You know, so um, that's what that's what people are paying. Yeah, it's crazy. To- I mean, I, I I was involved with Max Chilton years ago, um, and um, was was part of his while well, I was leading his management team, and and we part of our job was to support the the fundraise for that seat. And you know, see, it, looking back now, it seems crazy. You sort of think. You know the sort of figures that you're talking about there. You know you're not a million miles away, and it, you're paying that to pootle around two and a half, three seconds off the back of the the grid. Sometimes it, that car was slower than the the top runners in GP two, um, and you just think, what 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 what's the end game here? Like, what is the point? This is not going to get you anywhere. Um, and sadly, it continues. You know, but it went on from there with people like you know even Ericsson, who albeit is a, is a different sort of talent. You know, and he got his IndyCar victory the other day which was which was great to see uh, do I mean Ericsson not Ericsson yeah. mm-hmm. yes yes um and you know he there were rumors of, of 25 million um you know for his his seat in Formula One um but it, it unfortunately it is it is part of of racing and and some of those some of those paid drivers do have genuine talent you know Ayrton Senna is essentially a paid driver Sergio Perez you know he's got big backers um but there, unfortunately there are some drivers out there who Simply, I might be wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong, Adam. But simply aren't good enough to be racing at that level, and would not be there if they didn't have a check for twenty million quid. No, they're not bad drivers in any shape or form. You know, that always amazes me how you know that's one of the things that's amazed me most in in, in my career is how many guys can turn a fast lap. You know, and actually, it really surprises you how they can turn a fast lap. But that's just where it ends. You know, they can't. They can't set a car up. They can't put a weekend together. They can't deal with the people. Um, they can't race. You know, loads of loads and loads of fast guys are actually even in Formula One aren't the best racers. So, you know, very rarely do you get that absolute full package. You know, where the guys come together and and and, and you know can do it all. But paying into Formula One and, and having budget is it's absolutely normal. Like yeah. you said, it's just the ladder's broken. So I think it was around 2010 where I personally think it kind of broke when. The world was in its biggest recession ever. Um, budgets were higher than ever. People were spending two million a year in GP2, and the F1 seats, the mid teams like your Renault, started to take paid drivers, and they had technically they would never have really taken paid drivers. So a minority had Alonso, um, Fisichella, Truly, uh, Mark Webber, all who brought money. But 
it was like three million dollars. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't twenty. And the thing then is that you were a serious young driver. You were taken serious. You were. You were considered a talent. Then you could step to a mid team who would pay you, and and then the latter. You know, then you could potentially earn money there for five or ten years, pay back your investors, and everybody was happy. But how are you ever going to pay back twenty million dollars when you don't? You don't. You're only there paying. It do, it just doesn't work. No, it, so it, it doesn't it's, add up. it's just totally. It's just it's just completely pointless now. But the guys seem to just when you're a billionaire, it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's like us spending twenty quid. If if you're if you're a billionaire, you genuinely go and buy a round of drinks or something. You know, you have to put it. Everything's relative. You have to yeah. put it in a context. So, mm. you know, at the end of the day, why not? Like, you know, the team needs it. Keeps the team there. The guys can go and have a go and. Someone like Stroll, actually, I think you gotta, I think you gotta give him some credit. Like, you know, I think it's yes. I'm I think, it. I think it's actually, and his dad as well. His dad's a serious operator. Like, so he's just that's the way you would do it. If you were if you're worth four or five billion and you and you decided to do it, you would just do it like that. You would buy the best team. You would buy the best Formula Three team. You would buy the best GP two team. And then you'd go in and buy the best Formula One team you could. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, and he had solid, solid business plan. Yeah, yeah. And he had, yeah, but he's probably going to make money from it. His dad's going to be the only one that doesn't just throw yeah. 20, was, uh, 20 million dollars a year to his son. He's actually, he'll he'll probably float this thing and sell it in, oh, in yeah. four or five years and make a load of money out of it. He's just, that's the way he is. Well, I, I, was at the, uh, I was at the Aston Martin um, factory a couple of weeks ago for a shoot with um, some of the guys there. And, uh, and I heard a noise. Um, we had to stop the shoot because I, I heard a noise from from outside the window and they were oh it's it's just Lawrence uh, arriving it's his community his helicopter touchdown outside the window I'm just like this, this is a different different world but I'm with you Lance Stroll I think Lance Stroll is a good driver he's had good results in the past before his F1 career I think he's alright he's, he, he's going to get that um, you know abuse and the, the Twitter mobocracy is going to go after him because he's got a wealthy dad. Um, but the two don't always correlate. It doesn't always mean just because you're rich, you're, you're crap at racing. Um, but listen, we, I could bark on about this for hours. It's, it's come to the point in the show where um, we like to test the knowledge of our guests and test the knowledge of them about themselves. It's a highly, highly important day. I will pass over to my esteemed colleague, Harry Benjamin, to introduce the Motormouth Quiz. Yes, Mr. Adam Carroll, welcome to Motormouths, the hardest quiz in motorsport, because I'm never quite sure if I've got the answers right. <laughs> but the good thing for you is it's a quiz all about you, your career, bits to do with you. So you should be able, depending on how your memory is, to get them right. There are four questions and then a bonus point up for grabs. Each question is worth three points. Um, the first one is a little clip we'll play you and the rest are just... Uh, your normal verbal answers. Um, currently, there are 14 points up for grabs. It is Lee McKenzie and Alexander Sims who stand tall at the top of the leaderboard um, with 14. Timo Glock, I suppose we should give him a mention with eight points uh, down in... Well, actually, because we've had about... Well, this is our sort of... We're plus 80 episodes now. So Glock with eight puts him around 30th position. So it's a very it's a very tight leaderboard. <laughs> the midfield is massive. Are you ready for your first question? Yep. Right. Have a listen to this short clip and then I'm going to ask you some questions about it at the end. Here we go. For the checkered flag, Team Ireland are coming through. Peraltada, are we going to see the checkered this time around, or is it going to be one more lap? Just waiting for the leader to come out. The 
second flag is prepared and he wins. Now, a brilliant piece of commentary there, but I think that's Ben Edwards, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, what is he commentating on? Uh, it nearly sounds like F1, doesn't it? Uh, it, it, it does, doesn't it? Well, I'm going to say it's Mexico City. So, um, winning in Mexico City, uh, 2008, 7. 7 and the 8. 8 and the 9. Yeah, 7 and the 8. 2007-2008 championship. That was our A1 team Ireland's first win by four and a half seconds in Mexico City. That's what I'm going to say. on. That is a full house. And what a... Br- I was so glad when I uncovered that clip. And it... Because I didn't really watch A1GP. It was sort of... Don't want to make you too feel old, but it was a bit before my time. But <laughs> it really made me go, oh my God. It, as you said, it sounds like F1. It's insane. And the celebrations afterwards, the podium, that trophy you got is bloody massive. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was... Uh, yeah, and you should... Uh, after party was as well, so... Yeah. I bet. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good start to uh, your Motor Mouths quiz uh, career, at least. So that's three points in the bag. Your second question, uh, following on from the A1GP theme, in your title winning year, how many wins did you get and where did you get them? Great question. Um, I think the first one started in um, round two, I think, was Chengdu because we didn't finish the first two races in the wet at Sandworth. It didn't start <laughs> off too well. I, t- I had to get a bulligan after that and told me I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to crash the car, which I kind of knew anyway. But um, <laughs> um, the second, I think the first win was Chengdu. Um, and that's China, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. China. Just, just double-checking. Yes. <laughs> I assume yeah. as much, but yeah. <laughs> then Tapo, New Zealand. We won the second one. I should have won both those, but I stalled in the pits. I had an anti-stall thing while I pulled away. Other than letting the clutch out and bump starting it, we wouldn't have finished that race. So that cost us the win. So that was one win and two pulls there and one win, I think. Okay. So so we've we've got China and New Zealand. So that is two wins currently. Is it a, can I ask a question? Is it um is it five wins in total? It is five wins yeah. in total. So yeah, okay. that's good. You're there. So I just need two. I'm looking for two more countries slash tracks that you won in. One, Malaysia. One, yes, correct. Stepang in Malaysia and obviously UK, Brands Hatch. Yeah. Boom. It's yeah. another full house. This is looking very, very good, Adam. Uh, right. Let's I had go to think on. about that. So you did that. Well, it's, hey, it's a hard one. <laughs> now, yeah. this one, um, now, obviously, uh, we will come on to this as well about your reserve duties for Neo 353 and Formula E. Uh, and we had uh, Christian Silk and um, Tom Blomqvist on the show uh, a, few, a month or so ago now. Mm. And we asked this exact same question, and uh, they struggled. Uh, so let's see how you get on. This is hard. Can you name? All the previous incarnations of what is for this season called Neo Three 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 Racing, and and to help you out with this, there are four different names. Four. I'm looking for four. I'll be impressed if we get this. Mm. It's well, I think it started as um, Team China. Close enough. I'll give oh, you that one. Yeah. China. Um, yeah, China Racing. I'll give you that China one. China Racing, which was, I think, campus at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So China Racing. Then it went to Next TV. Oh. 
Yes, but this is where it gets difficult. I'm looking there. There's there it is. Next TV and a little something on the end as well. If if you combine your first answer with the second one, next thing the um, by China Racing oh, or Campus. Yeah, I'll give you that one. Next yeah. TV, Team China Racing. All right, yeah, that's okay, two in go. the bag. Yeah. Um, then it was just Neil. As it was, I think after that it became full Neil. Um, well, yes, Neo, Neo, Neo Formula E team, that is correct. Oh, we've got, yes. we've got a visitor in we the background. Canine. Um, so there is one just before it became Neo. There's one just before it became Neo? Yeah. It, it no, was sort of, it is. It, five. There must be five variants then. Cause so we've got, we've got, we've got China racing. We've got next yeah. TVTCR. And no, I'm, I put Neo is in the title for the next one, but it's not just Neo. So we had China Racing, Next TV, China Racing, Blank, and then Neo. Oh, I really want you to get this. It's really, yeah. We, we've already said the name of it, actually, in a previous answer. Um, well, it must be Next TV, because I think it went yes. to Next TV after China. So Next TV, Neo Racing. Yes. Got it. Got it in one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two and a half points. General thing there. Neo. <laughs> Next TV, yeah. So it was China Racing, Next TV, TCR, Team China Racing, Next TV, Neo, and then Neo Formula E. So not too shabby. They really okay. struggled with that, uh, Christian and, and Tom. Um, well, and uh, the last one then? Uh, well, well, I think you can get that one. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Three, three, three. Um, He's got it. He's got it in yeah, one. Three, three, three. Um, okay. This is your last big question before the bonus point. Um, and again... The race drivers, of course, that you're supporting at the race weekends are Tom Blomqvist and Oliver Turvey. Can you tell me how old they are? Oliver is 40... Uh, no, we're joking. Uh, Oliver <laughs> is 33. Oh, close. 34? Correct. Yes, correct. Okay. He was 33, so he's just turned 34. <laughs> yes, just turned 34. Give you that and one. Tom... Tom does look like he's coming 40, but yeah. Tom is... <laughs> 27. Bang on. Yes. Spot on. There. Well done. I will give you... <laughs> Sorry, Tom. I'm only joking, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you two points for that one. Two out of three. And then here is your one. Here's your bonus point for one extra question. Now, your name is Adam Carroll. It's a name shared by two other famous names. But what do they both do? <laughs> One of them's a country and western singer from Canada. Oh, uh, yes. Yes, I wasn't expecting... You didn't have to be that specific, but yes, go on. Because, uh, you can just say... Uh, no, they're actually called Adam Carroll. Yeah, they they're, both, called... they're both called Adam Carroll. So we've got, we've got the country and western singer. You know, uh, to be honest, you could just say, what, what, is that, you know, what is that career that they're in? They are a... Can I ask where the... Where they're from in the second one? Where they're the from? One? He is uh, from, from the UK, London, to be precise. Actually, I actually don't know. It must be a footballer or something, is it? Oh no! I'm going to give you a point Actor. because you were so specific. But they all I needed was musicians. They're both musicians. Yeah. So we had the oh, right, okay. uh, we had the uh, the country and western singer uh, from Texas, Adam Carroll, and then we have the London-based uh, singer Adam Carroll, who founded <laughs> a band called Time as a Thief. 
and the Gore Club. But do you know what's really, another one? Do you know what's really funny about this is that what? when you go on the GT Open website and go to Adam Carroll's oh, no. profile and you click on Adam Carroll's website, you go to a country and western singer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a website, so you can he can get a few hits anyway. We're sure yeah. a, few, uh, a few hits over the years. Well, Adam Carroll, that is a very respectable job. I've done the numbers there, and you have scored 11 points, which crucially puts you on uh, the first page of the leaderboard, and it puts you tied with Eduardo Mortara, Oliver Rowland, Will Buxton, and Sebastian Buemi, and you are tied for 15th position um, 15th, so no, 15th but that means you're on the first page so that's a, that's a decent haul of, that's a decent job there well done I mean, you seem to take a few dodgy points away there but uh, we'll not oh, I, I can't be too I can't be too kind I've got to keep it I've got to keep it interesting <laughs> the quiz oh, master. Uh, well yeah, done big names there so I'm happy enough for that very there good. Go. Another highlight to your career. Um, probably, now, the, probably the biggest highlight, actually. I think so. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Um, let, let's fast forward a little bit. Um, I'm just conscious of time. We don't want to keep you too yes. long. So let, let's um, let's dive into Formula E. Um, you've obviously had a little bit of experience of Formula E in the past, back in uh, 2016. And, and you're back now again in the Formula E paddock with Neo, as we've talked about. Um, a nice opportunity. The reserve driver supporting the team, doing some sim work, etc., um, how's it going? Are you enjoying it? Um, and, and does this mean there is a pathway to a full-time seat potentially in season eight? I, I don't think so. You know, um, formerly is, I did my first season. Yeah, I did the full first season of Jaguar racing. So that was um, interesting. And obviously it didn't quite work out uh, like I was hoping it was going to. And I, I kind of set the trend for the second seat there. As you can, <laughs> everybody, yeah. everybody, yeah. Uh, I'll not go into specific details because I never have done, but it was just tough, such a tough championship in more ways than than one. So uh, to go back to it with the you know Gen Two car and see where it's kind of evolved over the the few seasons, um, it's definitely interesting. And the thing I always come back to is it's just so complicated. It is yeah. massively complicated and complex um so uh you know you take kind of like a, a fairly basic mechanical car and then you add in you know electric motors regen and then all the software and the, the fly-by wire breaking and then you end up with you know incredibly complex systems so um it's not an easy thing to pick up or just walk into you know it's a different kind of language you know it takes time even between the teams as well i think when you see drivers move between teams don't it's not just a natural progression like you might find i think that's changing slightly as well i think formula one is also you see that with the drivers who have gone from one team to another and it's not just as straightforward as you think about driving the car yeah so danny rick you know um, struggling you know formally it's massively impressive what they've what they've done It, it, it is different um i've enjoyed working with the team enjoyed of course you know going with the guys they've done a brilliant job you know to see how they've turned it around um with with you know their power train and and scoring points and being able to fight in that mix and it's so difficult the championship so the team have done a brilliant job and uh you know do i think i could get a race seat i i i, I don't think so you know I, I know i can do a good job and perform in it but um you know oliver and tom and guys like that uh they're always looking for experienced people within the current, within the current, um, you know, set of set of 
machinery. So, you know, it's a good good rule. I've enjoyed it. Uh, I can't actually do any more because I uh, all my commitments with you know racing is clashes now. So it's unfortunate that I can't you know finish the year with with the team. But hopefully we can work out something for next year, and you know I can continue my rule you know with them. Good stuff. Well, yeah, and and it, talking of clashes, of course, it is uh, this will come out after we've. Uh, uh, released this episode but you've GT Open this year of course we're going you're going to Belgium this weekend um, and it was a decent first start as well in, in Paul Ricard for you with the, the Balfe Motorsport team and that Audi R8 pole and a podium um, so how are you looking for this season how are you feeling ahead of the next round and the season ahead I'm just look, really looking forward to it um, you know, both my programmes this year is uh, Redstone GT and GT Cup and then uh, Balfe Motorsport so uh, obviously slightly different but um, you know the the GT Open stuff this championship this year we're going to have more cars you know I think our our program class is, is very competitive you've got yeah there's a lot yeah <laughs> and the, not just the pros you know pros are always competitive but the AMs are super competitive yeah. as well and we have some t- t- tough competition you know the guys are the guys are fast and they're, they're getting plenty of plenty of testing and laps in as well so uh, the team's new first season with the with the Audi you know the Audi is uh, it's a great car to drive. I really enjoy it. Um, like all the GT cars, have got some strength and got some weaknesses. Uh, you know, Ricard was Ricard was quite good. I think we did the best we could. You know, our maximum pace wasn't. We were never going to. All right, I got pulled, but that it was more circumstantial to the conditions as well. And um, sector one was drying out, and we just managed to do a good job. So I think that track um hopefully somewhere like spa will be slightly more suited to us with our with our bop and the audi is very good on the brakes and very good just carrying carrying corner speed so it is it's fast in the corners and then mm. it's never quick in a straight line because the championship don't want to give you you know don't want to give you too much grunt <laughs> so it also makes it interesting and we'll just have to see how it how it pans out over the year but can't wait to get around spa this weekend in that car i'm just really looking forward to it Good stuff. Well, I think it'll be very exciting. They've asked me back to commentate on it, so hopefully you are. I'm commentating on you on the top step of the podium. Good, good. We'll yeah, see. Yeah. <laughs> make sure you make sure you talk about him favourably, Harry. You know. Oh, of course. Don't talk about him like nastily like you did last time. Do not do that again. <laughs> uh, um, now there, there are three questions that we always ask our um, our guests. Or the same three questions every time. I'm going to add a fourth, Harry. I've gone rogue, um, and I'll kick off with that one. I think. So as I mentioned right at the top of the show, um, Adam, we, we often ask drivers who's the best person they've shared a track with your name has certainly come up more than any anyone else they talk about I'd like to know from you who's the best driver you've ever shared a track with I've I've been so fortunate to share a track with well obviously like some of the best drivers to actually ever live nowadays so you know Lewis Hamilton being one of them so I've gone wheel to wheel with Lewis quite a few times in, in GP2 um, I think I probably understand him more than most people, you know, he's he's, a, he's just an absolute fighter. Uh, the 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 harder you push him, the more he fights. You know, if he was a boxer, he would just he would just walk forward. He would never walk backwards, never. So, I know his personality sometimes doesn't cross come across like that, but he is tough. He is really, really tough competitor. Um, so that's obviously an experience that I never forget. Um, just. You know, out of all the sons, I think Nelson Piquet's the fastest I've ever raced. He's the, he's the best. He's he's quick, um, a little bit wild as a racer sometimes. Uh, mm. the, odd, the odd gap, but very fast. Um, some great battles with Nelson. Timo Glock, Timo, 
just an all-rounder, super quick, really good guy to work with, fantastic teammate. Um, yeah, can and can run the best of them as well. So, you know, Timo's a, probably slightly more old school, like probably like himself, you know, stick him in an indie car or other big cars with tons of grip and power. That's what he's that's what he's good at. Um so, you know, I've been so fortunate. There's there's just been some unbelievably quick quick guys and, and good racers uh, along the year. But then you cross into things like GT cars and guys who haven't gone down the route of single seaters, you know, and, and the talent in there actually is probably more mind blowing really with the depth and the competition. So some I've shared, you know, Lawrence Van Lawrence Van Thor have been teammates with him in the in an ID a long time ago and Lawrence was, you know, super quick. Um and GT stuff, Ben Barker as a teammate. Races for golf, Ben is just really quick as well in a Porsche. You know, he 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 was always impressed with what what he could get, get out of the RSR. Um, you know, and, and sometimes guys are suited more towards the car and then you know the, the nature. Um so uh, you know, I've shared on a track and cars with some fantastic talent. Very diplomatic answer. Um, but you're you, you right. I mean, Lance when you Stroll, want... of course. You totally forgot Lance Stroll. I mean, Lance Stroll, yeah, yeah. But you're right. When you do unlock the double world of GC racing, the amount of, uh, of, of talent that's there that you know you don't see it because it doesn't make the headlines as much as the single seaters it is extraordinary. Um, three times more. So honestly, yeah. there's 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 three times the depth of talent in the way the way I uh, through my whole experience. Sorry, just to waffle on. Is no? you know Formula Formula One has some of the best drivers in the world. Not not all of them. So the way I see it is the top six in Formula One is as, is as good as you get, not better. So um, race drivers are, the difference between the top race drivers in the world is so much closer than the teams. The teams are way further apart than the drivers. If you put the top 50 drivers in the world, they're probably within a tenth and a half of each other. You know, if you put the top, say, at least 10, they're within probably a couple of hundreds of, of each other in the same machine. We know that's how, that's how close it is. So, um, you know, that it's just so competitive yeah. between drivers. Mm, well, well, hopefully. Then. That's why GT Racing, I think, has really come alive, though, in the last few years, especially yeah. in terms of how it's broadcast as well. It's great to see more eyes on it. But next question, um, what's got you excited at this very moment? I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, talking to you. Yeah, hey, hey, correct answer. <laughs> so, excellent. excellent answer. You know what? No one's ever said that. I don't think actually, because oh. I think they always they always cop out doing it. I'll take it. Mm. Yeah. Um, if not doing what you're doing right now, being an extremely fast racing driver, coaching youngsters, and so on, what would you have done? Well, I actually have a restaurant. Do so, you? oh yes, oh, yes, I knew this. Yeah. So I'm, after my sort of formally experienced how it ended, I wasn't there. Uh, I think I'd had enough of motorsport. I kind of, the way I had topped out was just quite hard to take um, how I'd finished. Because even to this year, actually, on, on average, I've been the closest driver to Mitch, believe it or not, Mitch Evans, um, since everybody else, my average to him, the, the Delta is, I'm, I'm still the closest until probably Sam this year. So unfortunately, the politics of motorsport it, it just doesn't work out. So I just got kind of had a wee bit of a sickener and decided that I couldn't, you can't race forever anyway. So me and my wife, Claire went a bit mad and we started our own business. So that's why I kind of went a little bit quiet on the scene for a couple of years after that. And um, we started from scratch with a retail shop 
and a restaurant. And now we have one, which is a 95-seat um, authentic Italian restaurant called Air, A-I-R. You'll see it on my helmet. And it's a year old now, and it's it's mental. So <laughs> um, we have gone down that route with <laughs> question my sanity quite a few times. But uh, and okay. I know what a 70-hour week is like in a, in a real world. Uh, so I have appreciation for everybody out there. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, you know, the plan was never to stop racing. It was just to run alongside. So that's what we do at the minute. But Claire, my wife, she 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 runs that um, at the minute, and we're really well organised. So that allows me to go back racing. So it's pretty busy between our restaurant, kids, and family life. But it's all it's all working at the minute. And is that back in Northern Ireland? Yes, it's imported down in Northern Ireland. Very good. We'll have to we'll have to make a visit there. I think yeah. for a, a nice three course meal at some. Oh stage. yeah, yeah, you guys, are in, come come over once things do get back going. Come over. Uh, one of the best kitchens in. Northern Ireland, we're full Italian, 40 years, uh, three Italian chefs in the kitchen, so we're the real deal. I don't need asking twice, I'm there. Uh, but Adam, final question for you before we let you escape and get back to uh, your day. What are you scared of? The dark. Oh. oh. Um, <laughs> um, I, don't really, I don't really like the dark. Oh, I wouldn't bless. be walking down any alley, alleyways and things like that, so... Fair, yeah. um, do you, sleep with little, do you sleep with a little bedside light on? No, I don't. I'm a little night light. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I don't know. Probably failure. Uh, don't really like failing. Uh, you know, you always want to try and do the best you can. So, you know, that's just something built into you with your competitive side. Um, but... Mm. That's just part of life, and the sooner you learn to deal with that, the better. <laughs> It'll be easier. Uh, yeah. You're not the first person to say that, and I don't think you'll be the last person to say that either on these shows. Well, look, Adam Carroll, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come onto the Most Math Podcast. It's been absolutely fascinating to chat with you all about your career and your views on motorsport today. And we wish you the best of luck as well with the rest of the year in International GT Open and GT Cup and all the other bits and bobs that go along with it. Uh, we look forward to uh, some fine dining, uh, fine Italian dining at some stage. Adam Carroll, thank you so much for coming on to the Motor Mouth Podcast. Thank you very much, guys. Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first class hotels, travel and exclusive behind the scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com And if you enter code MOTORMOUTH, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the MOTORMOUTH podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at MOTORMOUTH underscore, Instagram at MOTORMOUTH underscore official, and Facebook, just search MOTORMOUTH. You can also download the MOTORMOUTH app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans, and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.